Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, June 8th, and today Teddy Schleifer comes on the show to tell us about whether Sheryl Sandberg has any kind of future in philanthropy or political activism after leaving Meta, the parent company of Facebook. Democrats used to like her, but that relationship status, it's complicated. And later on in the show, Bill Cohan comes by to talk about Elon Musk and his threat to kill his own deal to buy Twitter. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I am joined today by Teddy Schleifer, who is... Up in the Bay, go Warriors in this very narrow situation of Warriors, Celtics. Indeed. Um, (laughs) Teddy, Sheryl Sandberg announced last week that she was leaving Meta, nay, Facebook, after over a decade there? 13 years? Yeah, 13. You're really steeped in philanthropy, donor universe. Sheryl Sandberg herself has given money to plenty of causes over the years. What is her legacy in the world of donors, it feels like she's still going to be able to go to like nice receptions and she'll still headline events and she'll still do image rehab and all that sort of stuff. She's not toxic, right? Are you talking about 2022 Sheryl Sandberg or 2015 Sheryl Sandberg? <laughs> um, 20, 2015 Sheryl Sandberg, Peter, as you may remember, was going to be Hillary Clinton's treasury secretary. She was, you know, a feminist icon, the author of, you know, an extraordinarily popular book, which was aging pretty well at the time. And she was, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a, as traditional a Democratic power player that you can find. That is not Sheryl Sandberg in 2022. And the reason I wanted to, to write about Sheryl this week and sort of her pivot post-Facebook to politics and to philanthropy is something that I've heard definitely from more lefty fundraisers and more lefty political and philanthropic operatives over the last couple of years, which is that is she toxic? I don't want to overstate it, but I think there are a lot of Democratic bundlers or finance types who, who think that Facebook was a democracy-destroying tech platform that facilitated genocide and facilitated January 6th, and that Sheryl Sandberg was responsible. And that means taking Sheryl Sandberg's money, A, 
sort of launders her reputation in the uh, political world or in the philanthropic world post-Facebook mm-hmm. and, frankly, gives her an entree back into public life. Now, this is not Donald Trump post-January 6th or Mark Meadows or Mick Mulvaney getting kind of a CBS News contributorship. But like, I don't think you should understate the hostility towards Cheryl from the left. Honestly, Peter, it's, it's an open question. I don't know is the answer. People have short memories, and if there's enough zeros at the end of the check, Sheryl Sandberg is going to be headlining, you know, the Emily List Gala in 2032, just like she could in 2012. But there's also a universe in which Democrats, driven in part by their hostility to tech writ large, and I think their hostility to Facebook specifically, and to Sheryl Sandberg specifically, some of which is probably gendered, to be sure, where Sheryl becomes a persona non grata in, in Democratic politics. But this is something I've heard reliably over the last couple of years, whether or not the Cheryl money is kind of equivalent to, to oil money or to cigarette money. The starting gun on this kind of ethical debate starts now because Cheryl is saying after Facebook that she's in full bore into kind of becoming some sort of mega donor. When I think of like, quote unquote, Democrats, you have your rank and file voters at this point, like young people. Black folks, Hispanic folks, like suburbanites, maybe. But then you talk about the, the left. And in my mind, the left is right now like two things. It's the economic left, the progressives, like the Bernie Sanders, AOC, Red Rose gang. And then there's sort of like the identity politics, K-Hive, very loud on social media left. You know, the kind of folks who wear RBG like socks. It feels like Cheryl doesn't have an audience with the Bernie AOC left, are you saying that more rank and file type Democrats would be opposed to her too? Like, I, f- I feel like people just don't care. Or or, am I, or are you just like more focused on the kind of big money people? Like if Cheryl became like a super PAC kind of person, be like, yo, don't play in my race. Don't play in my primary, that kind of thing. I am not positing that, uh, that regular folks, frankly, you probably don't even know who Cheryl Sandberg is, despite her fabulous business success and becoming, you know, uh, one of the most successful authors over the last decade. This is, we're talking about elites here. But look, I mean, elites matter. Like, I mean, I know, for instance, I reported back when I was at Recode that Color of Change, which is like a prominent Black-led organization that's very much like within the mainstream of like Democratic nonprofit world. Color of Change was offered in the aftermath of Cambridge Analytica scandal at Facebook. Color of Change was offered money from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, which is the philanthropy of Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan, and turned it down because they saw the money as sort of blood money. They, they saw it as, uh, you know, color of change out here fighting Facebook's destruction in, in their view uh, of kind of American society. And how could they then go and basically tell Mark Zuckerberg, the money's welcome over here and, you know, no problem with kind of what you're doing with your left hand because what you're, do- what you're doing with your right hand is all good. Mm-hmm. Now, like, does any regular person, does that argument, like, make sense to any regular person? Like, Maybe not, but it doesn't really matter because look, I mean, ultimately we're talking about, not to quote Mark Halpern in a, in a positive light, but you know, he, he coined this idea of, of the gang of 500 or whatever he called it. Like the idea yep, that yep, the, yep. The, the insiders matter. And I think that's true. And whether or not development professionals think Sheryl Sandberg's money is, is toxic does matter. I'm not, I mean, look, this is not a, what any regular person's thinking about. There are so many more uh, real concerns for regular people. Yeah. Um, but if Rashad Robinson at Color of Change thinks that, and you know, a, a Democratic super PAC official, you know, on the on the left who 
is running against Facebook. Like, can you imagine an ad that was raking people for January 6th that is financed by Sheryl Sandberg? Like, you, you could see, even if you don't agree with that, you can see mm-hmm. how that could be some cognitive dissonance in the mind of the powers that be. Yeah. The powers that be is now the Gang of 500. It's official. We just decided. Boom. <laughs> so here's here's another question I have about all this. Like, if she leaves Facebook and acknowledges herself, I've had a complicated legacy, and maybe she wants to, like, atone for some of that and do good. Like, that feels like the sort of way she should brand anything. In other words, I don't think people should just be like, no, we don't want your money. Like, maybe she wants to put her money to good work to sort of atone for some of the bad stuff that might have happened when she was there. What's wrong with that? I mean, that's what, you know, maybe uh, Richard Sackler would say about, you know, yeah. uh, like, hey, like, you know, I know, I know, I know we killed some people at Purdue Pharma, but like, you know, like, here's this museum I donated, you know, or the wing of the Met that I sponsored. Look, I mean, obviously there's a... There, there's brutal, man. Look, I'm not saying I agree with that, but like that, that is like the contradiction between sort of how you make the money and how you give the money that like, I think ideally, you know, you would love to think that like you could only focus on the money you're giving away and the good it's doing in the world. But look, I think there's been a, not everyone is, is the Sacklers, but the way that the money is made, it's hard to divorce that from the good the money does in the world. Like even like, even like yeah. Mackenzie Scott, like I've been somewhat surprised there hasn't been more kind of lefty pressure on her, you know, to like take more of a stand against Amazon or really, you know, put the screws to Jeff Bezos and her ex-husband and, you know, convince them to support unions at Amazon or stuff like that. I mean, look, ultimately, the impact I think that business leaders can make in their day job far outstrips even the hundred million or billion dollars that Sheryl Sandberg could give to all the good causes in the world. That's not to say that, like, the way the money is spent is irrelevant. Like, I think obviously that's, that's, you know, part of anyone's legacy, but ultimately that would be like only focusing sort of on the efforts by the Sacklers to, you know, build new art museums and fund new schools while like ignoring the tens of millions of people who are addicted to opioids because of the Sacklers business record. Like like I think any kind of honest assessment of any business leader's legacy has to reckon with both what they do in their day job and kind of what they do after they leave. All the philanthropy donor stuff aside, just to put a punctuation mark on it, do you think that Sheryl Sandberg could ever run for office and win as a Democrat? Peter, I, I do not. I mean, I don't think like Mark Zuckerberg was going to run for president in 2016, but people are like addicted to these narratives yeah. that could Sheryl run for senator in California? I mean, look, there's a lot of qualified people who could be elected office holders. There's a lot of qualified business leaders that could. I'll take the bet here that Sheryl Sandberg will not be an elected official anytime soon. All right, man. Take it easy. Talk soon. Bye. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast welcome back everyone now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with bill cohan on his beat right now thanks peter so elon we're back to Elon Musk and his uh, increasingly pathetic-looking uh, bid for Twitter. He um, uh, had his lawyer at Skadnar file with the SEC a letter that I guess he had sent to Twitter and the Twitter board about harping on this idea that he had not received the information from Twitter that he wanted about the extent of bots on the network. Now his uh, Skadden lawyer is claiming is um, potential uh, breach of the merger agreement and therefore Elon can you know potentially get out of the deal. This is a uh, true amateur hour on the deal making front. It's absolutely inexplicable. As I've said, I mean, he, he played it masterfully from the end of January to, to March when he accumulated his 9.1% stake in the company stealthily. And then from March to April 25th, when he signed a merger agreement with Twitter to buy the company for $54.20 a share, $44 billion. Again, that was played beautifully. It's clear that he was listening to his financial advisors, sort of boxed the Twitter board in, gave them no choice. Of course, at $54.20, uh, that's a pretty attractive price. Although I think people forget there was a lot of question about it at the time. You know, since April 25th, it's been basically a shit show. Seems that he's trying to use every pathetic trick in the book to get out of the merger agreement that he signed, which is a legal document. You know, maybe he just doesn't care about being tied up in court for X number of years. I suppose he has more resources to hire lawyers and to pay lawyers indefinitely than, than Twitter does. So maybe that's part of the strategy. But to claim uh, an out of the merger agreement because he didn't get the information on bots that he desires seems specious at best. I suspect that he made a new offer for Twitter in the last few weeks when he's been relatively quiet on the 
Twitter front anyway. He's been relatively quiet about the Twitter deal. I suspect uh, in the last few weeks he made a new offer. And for the sake of fun and argument, I, I think that might have been at 4420 in keeping with his 420 preference for the numbers 420. Okay, let's, so let's assume it was at 4420. It's clear that uh, did not go over well with the Twitter board and either they rejected it or laughed at it or said it was a non-starter. And now he's gone back to being openly critical of Twitter and the Twitter board and the information that he's getting or not getting or claims he's not getting and now is acting like a petulant child again, pretending that he didn't sign a merger agreement and he's, you know, preparing to walk away from the deal. It's always sort of in the subjunctive, something he may do, threatening to do. I mean, you know, this has really taken a turn for the worse. And I think if he persists in this uh, way, frankly, he'll never do another deal in this town again. You know, he will have so badly damaged his reputation for deal doing. And again, maybe he doesn't care, but I think three strikes and you're out. The first strike was the Solar City deal. The second strike uh, was the pretend going private deal where he said he had funding secured when he didn't. And now, and now this. So with Elon, you don't know whether he cares or not. Uh, I presume he doesn't really care. It's just so bizarre that he would put a, a public company through this, Michigas, if I may use that word. And who's been hurt here? Well, Twitter shareholders will be severely hurt when this all unwinds if he walks away. The arbitrageurs who thought they were going to get 54.20 in cash, and now the stock is trading you know, in the high 30s, they're going to get really singed. This may go down as one of the worst ARB deals in history if and when he walks away from it. It's a weird game he's playing. It's unprofessional. It's unprecedented. It's childish. It's clear he's not listening to his advisors anymore or they've lost control of him. And it might very well be a fact that he doesn't care. He's the world's richest guy and so he can do what he wants and it'll be okay because he's the world's richest guy. But this is well beyond the boundaries of normal deal doing. And this is sort of clear indication of a guy who doesn't really care whether he has a good reputation for doing deals or not, because this would be the third strike and therefore would put him sort of in the Donald Trump category of deal doers. And I would expect that after this, Wall Street will want to have nothing to do with him, which is a very dangerous game for him to play considering Tesla needs plenty of capital, that SpaceX needs plenty of capital, and the boring company need plenty of capital. So to piss off uh, sources of capital in this way is uh, a very sort of petulant, childish behavior. You know, maybe he doesn't care, and maybe uh, he'll surprise us yet and actually follow through in some way. But not getting that sense right now. But more on this uh, always at puck.news. And thank you for listening. 
Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.